Welcome back to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while also raising children. I say welcome back because we've been on a little bit of a winter hiatus. When it comes to working parenthood, I'm sure you can all recall the past couple of months and how we've had COVID and quarantines and stomach bugs and sick days and snow days and all that jazz. So we are happy to be back together again. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin. I am a healthcare lawyer, founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps employers retain their new parent top talent. And I'm mama to two wonderful redheaded boys who are now 11 and 9. I am joined today by my wonderful co-host and my amazing husband, Jason Levin. Hey there, Jason. Hi there, Lori. And thank you, amazing wife. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I'm the founder of Ready, Set, Launch LLC, where I'm a speaker, trainer, and coach. I advise executives on how to grow their professional services practice and make intentional career transitions. My debut book, Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch, is now available on Amazon and wherever you find books online. Hooray for Jason's new book. I feel like it's our fourth child in our family. In this episode, we are picking up on the podcast tradition of interviewing moms and dads in different industries and sectors. And today we're moving on to talk to two moms who are professionals in executive search, Christina Carey and Debbie Tang, and they both happen to have sons by the name of Ben. So I'm delighted to welcome both of them today. Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about Christina? Absolutely. Christina is a partner at Hydric and Struggles, and her search work focuses on functional roles in human resources, including CHRO, CPO, divisional and regional heads of HR, and centers of excellence leaders in talent management, talent acquisition, learning and development, HR operations, total rewards, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Christina is a Hoya. She is a member of Georgetown University's Board of Governors and the former president of Hoyas Unlimited, Georgetown's annual fundraising arm for athletics that supports excellence across all the university's 29 intercollegiate sports. The reason for that is that George, she played basketball when she was at Georgetown. Christina's final and most important job is being a mom to funny, curious, loving Benjamin, also known as Ben, Benny, or Bubba. He'll be five in June. And rambunctious, smiley, fearless Abigail, also known as Abby, who will be two in April, and wife to Patrick or Pat. The Carey crew resides in Bethesda, Maryland. Lori, why don't you introduce Debbie? Wonderful. I'm so glad you're here, Christina. Uh, Debbie. Debbie Tang is a partner at Bridge Partners, a Black-owned retained executive search firm focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Debbie leads global executive searches in both the private and public sector from Fortune 100 companies to universities and government agencies. She recruits diverse senior executives across all functions, including CEO, CFO, CHRO, general counsel, and board directors in a wide variety of industries. Debbie's actively involved in the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association and the Women's Bar Association of the District of Columbia. She's on the board of the Washington Project for the Arts and the Norwood School. She received a BA degree from McGill University and a JD from Washington and Lee School of Law, where she served on the editorial board of the Journal of Civil Rights and Social Justice. Debbie has a son, Ben, who I mentioned, who is nine, and a daughter, Cece, who is six. Welcome, Debbie, and welcome, Christina. Hey, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so good to have you both here. We're really excited about this conversation. And yes, we do go niche. We're like moms in executive search is what this conversation (laughs) is about here. (laughs) Awesome. So I want to start off for each of you and ask you to tell us 
a little about a little bit about your own working parent story. Uh, Debbie, would you mind going first for this? Sure. So it's funny because I started off as an associate in big law, right? And worked crazy hours. And I was always like, wow, these female partners with kids, how do they do it? And I did not want to find out because it seemed like an impossible job. And so I actually went in-house at Marriott as an attorney. And then it seemed much more manageable there. You know, people were sending their kids to the in-house daycare at Marriott. But then I made a career change and I went into executive search. And part of the reason why was because I wanted more flexibility, even though I didn't even have kids yet then. But as soon as I made that switch, I saw that people just had a little bit more balance, right? Compared to when I was a practicing attorney. And so for me, I had my first child after becoming an executive recruiter. And it's been great, but I've got to say that it's still really tough, right? Schedule wise. Uh, I don't know if I still have balance that I'm looking for, but we do have an amazing nanny who makes my life much more bearable as a working parent. I'm sure Christina's the same way. I've got a husband who works. He actually commutes to Baltimore every day. And so things like pick up and drop off are just not part of his vocabulary. And so that's sort of what working parenthood has been like. Lots of moving puzzle pieces on a daily basis, for sure. Thanks for telling us your story, Debbie. Um, Christina, over to you. What would you say about your own working parent story? Yeah, it's it's funny hearing Debbie. I feel like we're living parallel lives, but we oh, never, we totally never, are, Christina. I was reading your bio, and I was like, <laughs> or when your bio was being read, I was like, I live in Bethesda, and then you played basketball in college. I'm too short to play basketball, but I played lacrosse in college, and I was like, oh my god, whoa. <laughs> We're going to, we're going to be fast friends. Um, well, and, and it's, I picked up on your husband's commute to, to Baltimore. My husband is from Baltimore and did the reverse commute for a period of time before we met each other. But um, <laughs> needless to say, lots of similarities. So let's see uh, where to begin. I've been at Hydric. It'll be 11 years in, in July, which is crazy to say out loud, started uh, as an associate here and then, uh, you know, managed to slip through the cracks and get promoted a couple of times um, and, and now a partner as of gosh, two and a half weeks ago. So Yay! Um, let's celebrate that for a minute. Congratulations. That's thank, awesome. Thank you. And no so slipping, pretty... no slipping through the cracks, Christina. Let's give yourself some credit here. Thank you. Thank Worked you hard for, for this. Congrats. Amen. Um, Amen. No, no. Uh, it's been a journey and, and I, I was actually reflecting on the journey because I had to for the partner promotion process. And I realized that literally every major life event that I have had has uh, been during my tenure at, at Hydric. And I kind of mapped it out for the consultant promotion committee <laughs> at Hydric to, to let them know. Um, started dating my now husband, got married to, to my husband, had our, our first child, uh, Ben, uh, actually my, my first year as a consultant um, in 2017, had my second child, uh, Abby, in, in 2020, you know, bought and uh, two houses along the way. <laughs> so every every single kind of big thing that you do as an adult um, has, has happened when I've been a, a search professional. And yeah, I'd agree with Debbie. It has not been easy. There have definitely been days where I've, you know, kind of spontaneously cried and I don't really know why. <laughs> but I think thankfully I've had a, a really solid support system. I really love what I what I do. It is a, a high pressure position. But at the same time, you know, Debbie makes a great point. There is actually a lot of inherent flexibility in the world of executive search. You, you know, you can set your own schedule and you can take off two hours in the middle of the day when you have to take your son to occupational therapy. 
and there's nobody kind of watching you punch a clock. It's just about doing good work, you know, serving your client in the best way possible and, and being a good, a good colleague um, and producing from a revenue perspective, of course. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun and um, excited that we're being featured to a certain extent because some people don't even know what, what executive search is. <laughs> so I'm glad to get, get the word out. <laughs> yeah. Christina, do you want to give us like the, the non-executive search people's like one sentence in English of what executive search does like in words that aren't your industry words? Uh, I, I will do my best. And Debbie, please feel free to chime in. So we work with uh, organizations, whether that be Fortune 500 uh, corporations, you know, public, private, private equity backed uh, organizations, but can also be not-for-profit foundations, higher education institutions to help with their leadership needs. That can be putting a leader in a specific position, typically for us, it's at the you know C level, meaning CEO or CFO or one level below, and maybe two levels below, depending on the size of the organization. The other piece of what we do is broader consulting uh, as it relates to leadership and organizational dynamics. Um, mm-hmm. So that that side of our business is uh, called Hydric Consulting, and then more recently. Uh, it sounds like Bridge uh, has this service offering as well. We do a lot of work um, with respect to diversity, diversity services. So helping organizations understand, are we doing what we need to do with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Thinking about a strategy um, to ensure that uh, you know a, a company is, is being mindful of, of all of those things with respect to their employee population. If anyone's listening to this podcast, you now have a window into what the term executive search means. Thank yeah. you for that, Christina. A minute ago, you started to answer my question. I just wanted to know if you had anything to add that I was about to ask, which is, you know, how would you describe what it's like to be a parent in executive search specifically? And you mentioned flexibility as sort of a hallmark of the field, but are there anything, is there anything else that comes to mind related to parenthood plus executive search? The world of executive search is highly unpredictable. (laughs) And I think Debbie would probably agree because everything we do depends on people. And last time I checked, people are pretty unpredictable. I was like, the job of parenthood is also highly unpredictable. So it sounds like your whole life is highly unpredictable. unpredictable. But I think that, and I don't know that this directly answers your your question, Lori, but I'll I'll certainly try. You know, I think being a parent um, and the unpredictability that comes with parenthood is a really good training ground for what we do in search and just understanding how to how to react to situations where you are completely thrown for a loop. Because um, let's, let's be honest, our kids do that to us fairly frequently, or at least mine do. So everybody's. Yeah. <laughs> Amen so, to that. I mean, I like to get on a soapbox about all the transferable skills that we gain through parenthood that make us better leaders. And it sounds like you've identified one right off the bat. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, but also even not just with respect to you know, like how I deal with my my clients, right? But also just dealing with colleagues and like the relationship management um, that we have to do on a daily basis um, with with those that we work with. Again, I feel I feel blessed to work with amazing people at, at Hydric, and it's a very collegial and familial environment. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some sticky situations that that come up that you have to navigate. So. 
I'm like forgetting your initial question. Uh, yeah, Lori, it was, but, um, what's it like to be a parent in executive search, which I think you've you've summed up nicely. Yeah, I think it's it's. Uh, I mean, I come back to that word unpredictable, um, but I also come back to just thinking about you know finding the right balance. I mean, Debbie talked about it. I don't know that I'm there yet. I think I'm trying to move in the right direction, but it is hard to find that right balance because our business is one where you don't really ever turn off. Like there's always something to do and that can be tough to manage sometimes. Well, I mean, I have some issues with the word balance, but generally speaking, (laughs) it's a, it's a journey rather than a destination. I think Debbie over to you. What are your reflections on what it's like to be a parent specifically in executive search? Yeah. It's one of the things that comes to mind is before I was a parent in executive search, I would always wonder when I was talking to these executives and they would say, Oh, I don't want to move. You know, my daughter is 15 and she's going to hate me. It's so funny because now in the pandemic, you know, there's more flexibility there for a lot of executive positions. But before I never really understood because I would just say, well, pick up and leave. This is a great opportunity. (laughs) Why, Why wouldn't you move? But now that I have kids, I get it. Right. And I understand why some of these parents who are very high powered executives are making million dollar decisions based on a 13 year old. And I didn't have that perspective before. And I think that it's important because it makes you realize that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO, doesn't matter what your position is. You want a happy home life, right? And you don't want your kid to hate you. And so <laughs> that's been a, that, that was very eye opening for me right now in the pandemic. It's an easier time in some ways to be a parent in executive search because I'm not traveling like I used to. I used to always be traveling to clients, traveling to conferences, and that would be hard. I got to say, I miss it a little bit, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, I I don't know, even when we're back to 100%, I I think that I will probably be a little bit more mindful of of the travel balance too. Lori, can I add one more thing? Please uh, go for it, Christina. And, and we're, we're, we're allowed to be vulnerable on this podcast, right? Um, By all means. So I, I think that one other thing, at least post kids that, that I, I will say I do feel on occasion and not that this is specific to search, but just because of a lot of the things that we've talked about with respect to unpredictability, client management, there are days where I'm like, God, I just feel like I'm not doing what I need to do in any part of my life, being a good mom, being a good, a good colleague, being a good wife. But what I think helps is that I talk to my colleagues about that other moms, um, because I I am blessed to have a lot of other moms of young kids within my practice, specifically at Hydra. And they're like, yep, that's a totally normal feeling, right? Like Mm -hmm. you are not, you are not alone. So I think having those folks as a sounding board has also been really, really helpful. Thank you for pointing that out, Christina, for being open and vulnerable and for talking about the importance of having that normalization of the working parent community. Really, really important. Um, And Debbie, I just wanted to also say, I love your story about your deeper level of understanding of your clients because of having kids. I think there are so many more things we quote unquote get after we've gone through them and parenthood is certainly one of them. Jason, over to you for our next question. Yeah. And, you know, Christina had kicked this off because, you know, uh, when we're talking about support and community. So that's one of those things that is is super important is is having support. Curious. And we'll we'll start with Christina on this. uh, What workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? I think so much of your experience at at least Hydra, but I think this is probably similar to, to a lot of other search firms is 
you know, who you are working directly for, right? Because it's an apprenticeship model. The person I grew up under at Hydric, uh, who, you know, Jason, I've, I've talked to you about him before, you know, he's a, a, a father of five, lots of, you know, different situations he's dealt with, uh, with respect to, to those kids. His wife does stay at home. So that's a little bit different. But at the same time, I think his own experiences, have, you know, were able to make him very sympathetic to what I was experiencing uh, as I, you know, got married, had my first kid, had my second kid, made all these big life decisions, right? So he was a resource uh, and, and, and just someone that I could always talk to. Uh, I think the other thing that Hydric has done well is, you know, create kind of you know, different communities within our organization, whether it be employee resource groups, and then even just, you know, like I know within our technology and services practice, you know, mentoring groups that, you know, you're able to, to you know, have, just have conversations with people. More recently, uh, and I give, I give the firm credit for this, just in light of the crazy year, last two years that we've all had. You know, we do now have a, a formalized employee assistance program for individuals to leverage if there's any sort of you know mental health issues that they're dealing with, and I know that that's been very well received by a lot of our our younger employees, just because it's been a it's been a tough time, right? A lot of people are really burnt out. We just had the best year in the history of our firm, which is awesome, but it didn't come without a lot of work. That's for sure. But so me personally, I just I think that I was able to. Um, develop some really, really strong, close, honest relationships with people like Eric, the partner I grew up under, and a lot of actually male partners who were really understanding about my situation. I mean, that's fantastic that, you know, within your organization, you were able to find uh, mentors and mentor parents that were uh, helping you along the way. Good for you. Uh, Debbie, your vantage point, uh, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? Yeah, so it's interesting. At Bridge, for all searches, we have two partners on every search. And I think that makes a world of difference because having that team orientation and just knowing that there's somebody else that you can lean on and who's going to support the client in the same way that you would and who knows what you know and you know, you just feel more at ease, right? When there's a kid who gets sick and you got to rush to the doctors or even when you're on vacation. I think a lot of times you don't truly ever take vacation. I know I am one of those horrible people who I never put my out of office on, right? It's what Christina was saying. It never really stops, right? And so at least now being at Bridge, having this two-partner model, I do feel like I've got some more coverage, right? When I'm not there. And that has been amazing. It's a great point, Debbie. It's it's interesting to hear both of you talk about always being on. So Christina was talking about, you know, really a high pressure position and being an executive search. Debbie, you're talking about always being on, you know, as, as working parents and Debbie, you know, curious, you know, your thoughts, how do you approach your week? How do you think about these things, given all the things that are going on in your world? Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that I've been trying to do, and I'm not always great about it, is actually trying to block out time to do work. Right. It sounds ridiculous, but otherwise my days, especially now, because everything is on Zoom, my calendar is all color. There's no space in between. I don't even leave myself time for lunch sometimes. And so that's one of the things that I've been trying to do is just say, okay, I'm not taking any Zooms in this two hour chunk. 
I got to say, I, I don't always do it well, but I'm at least trying. It's good to hear that you're yeah. you're you're being more intentional about your calendar. Christina, what do you think about uh, how you it, approach this? Yeah, I, I come back to, again, Debbie and I living parallel lives. I mean, um, I, I'm literally looking at my calendar right now. I wish we could screen share you know, it's a podcast. But um, I mean, I, I specifically have blocks that say do not schedule, you know, research outreach time or lunch. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, uh, up until recently, I did I did have two 30-minute Peloton uh, rides. I think it was Monday and Thursday, but sadly, those have, have gone out the window. I'd really like to add them back, but they were never getting done, and it just kept making me feel bad that I wasn't doing them to see them on my calendar. But uh, yeah, I mean, preserving the time is key. It is challenging, for sure, particularly because in our business... If you've reached out to a candidate or you know a client and then they call you back at an unexpected time, but you need to take it, that can just throw the rest of your day off completely. I joke that we put together to-do lists in the world of search and, and, and you're lucky if you get through one of the 10 things on a daily basis that you had on your to-do list because of other things that just unexpectedly pop up. So I do try and be more intentional about planning out my pockets of time when I can actually respond to email or write a document that I need to write. Because uh, to Debbie's point, this is the busiest market we've ever seen. And so a lot of the, the time on my calendar is consumed with you know status calls with clients or interviewing candidates. And it doesn't really leave a lot of room for responding to things. And so then what happens is all that gets pushed to... You know, after normal work hours, you know, after the the bedtime and bath time routine, and so I'm kind of doing a second session from call it you know eight to ten thirty, eleven at at night. You know, again, I think a symptom of the fact that we're in just a really really busy market, but that's just kind of the way of the world right now. And you know, hearing Debbie and you talk about the unpredictability and the working at night that has a name. It's called the split shift. There you uh, go. Glory on to you for the next question. Yeah. Um... First, I love the calendar blocking and just, I mean, I know it's aspirational and sometimes doesn't end up happening as planned, but I do think it's a really, really important skill to have. And I've also just been sitting here musing about the effect that the great resignation and everyone's you know job mobility right now is having on you guys, which is making it clearly a very uh, busy and active time for you both. Before I get to my next question, Debbie, if you don't mind, I want to come back for just a moment to the idea of the two partners on every search model. I live in law firm billable hour world rather than, um, you know, executive search world. I'm curious, is that a common model? Is it fairly unique to your firm? I I ask out of a little bit of self-interest because in legal world, often we're looking for that that solution. Like, you know, people say, well, as someone's ramping up or ramping down from parental leave, it helps to have somebody else put on their case with them, right? So that there can be two leads. And that begs all sorts of questions about what you're billing the client. And anyway, just curious if you can tell us a little bit more about that model. Yeah. So I've only been at two search firms and it wasn't the model at my first search firm. And I found that in terms of really being able to, to serve the client well, that's been very beneficial. I think that most places have a team, right? That work on the search, but sometimes the team, there's more levels to it. And so there's still only one person who's the client contact, but for us to have, you know, two partners that both know the client well, it it really makes a big difference. 
we call it not to, to get deep into, you know, hydric terminology, uh, we call it kind of first chair and second chair, right? Mm-hmm. So you have mm-hmm. you have the first chair who's really driving the, the conversation with the, the client. And the second chair is certainly available to, you know, have any sort of conversation. But uh, it, it's really the first chair that's managing the billing and invoicing and you know, most of, of the kind of account management activity, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the other way that we try and approach most searches, and, and I think this is typical for some of the other firms out there, at least that, that we can compete with, I'm sure Debbie competes with as well, is you've got someone who kind of is the, the functional major. So for me, right, that's HR, right? Like I do all my work in the HR function, and then you might have somebody else who's really the sector expert. And so you're, you're kind of tackling it from both ends, bringing, as we like to say, the best team to the table, both sector-wise and functionally. I also agree 100% with Debbie. It makes a huge difference to have a, a team member. Um, it just, you know, in terms of providing backup <laughs> when you need it. Um, there are certain firms that don't operate that way. Um, and I'm sure there's you know specific reasons as to why, but but we at Hydric feel like it's a great approach and you're kind of given more love to the client uh, in that way. Yeah. And not only are you giving the client more love, but then you're able to manage your own lives a little bit Correct. better too. Yeah. And it actually makes the searches more fun, right? So mm-hmm. our Hydric is a very 100%. large search firm. We're a boutique search firm, right? We only have six partners. And so you get to know everybody so well. And it's just great being able to partner and bring those different perspectives. I think that's definitely one of the things that I love most about my job is my colleagues. I love hearing you talk about the fun and the joy in the job too, for sure. Um, I want to pivot over to a question that is a follow-up. So Jason asked about the workplace supports that you found helpful whenever you became a parent. I'm curious if you can flip it a little bit and talk about what supports that you didn't have, but you think other parents might benefit from as they enter the world of working parenthood. Debbie, why don't you kick us off on this? Yeah. So one of the things that I know that my law firms had, but obviously like bridge is a little bit too small to do it, but they had backup childcare. If there was an emergency or something happened, I know a lot of colleagues used to take advantage of that. And so I think that's very useful because you really never know what's going to happen in a day when you've got little kids. We had been joking about how all our phones, you know, are next to us just in case the school calls, right? Yes. And so those things happen. And I think something like backup childcare is really useful. Yeah, I definitely had the opportunity to use backup care for a couple of years and um, it saved us on many occasions. Uh, Christina, anything that you didn't have, but you think other parents might benefit from? Yeah, I, I will say we didn't have backup childcare for a period of time. And then they introduced it um, as a benefit, uh, I want to say two years ago. And, and I fully took advantage of it this past year when we had an unexpected situation with, with Abby. So couldn't agree more with, with Debbie that having that is huge. This is coming from the bottom of my heart and not just because, Lori, you're the host of, of this podcast. But I will say one of the things that we've heard a lot internally from Hydric, you know, new moms is that there has not really been a, a great you know, support system in terms of re-entering in after you've come back from maternity leave. A lot of the, the conversations that a new mom is having, like she's having to be proactive to kind of set those things up, set those discussions up with people internally. So there's no kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, like, you know, onboarding 
for somebody coming back from maternity leave and understanding how to like readjust inside of the workforce. And that's particularly challenging when you're coming back as a consultant, when you've been out of the market for, you know, four to six months, right? Not working with clients. You haven't been, I mean, I remember when I came back after bed, I felt like I could talk to my clients because I had literally been just like talking to a baby, right? For four months. <laughs> Stringing uh, sentences together is yeah, challenging. Like, yes. Yeah. So I, I would get off calls and be like, did that make sense, guys? Like, was I coherent during that conversation? Some sort of more formalized um, uh, re-entry program into working at Hydric, I, I think could be super valuable. I have, I have mentioned, you know, back to work after baby, Lori, to, to leadership uh, within, within Hydric. And I, I don't think we unfortunately, you know, have something. I mean, there's a lot of practice specific, you know, conversations again that happen, but it's really more uh, somebody coming back and making the effort him or herself to have those conversations versus, hey, we know you're coming back from leave. Here's a two-week program we want to put you through. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Hydric is not unique in not having this smoother on-ramping process. And just sort of from my vantage point, looking out across different industries, it's becoming more of a priority, I think, for different companies and organizations and professional service firms to start making that transition smoother because it is a retention issue. So yeah, we can talk offline, Christine. Always happy to support you you on that. Thank you. Yeah. Jason, over to you for our next question. One thing that struck me in listening to Debbie and listening to you, Christina, on the the high pressure environment you're working in, the unpredictability. Earlier, you had talked about what executive search actually is, where your client is the organization. Um, Debbie, I want to start with you. Curious how you deal with, and given the busyness of your schedule, and this misunderstanding of what executive search actually is, (laughs) what... Do you do with these executive job seekers that just think, I'm just going to call Christina or Debbie and they're going to find me a job? It's true. It happens all the time. And it's funny because I think that for me, my orientation is always towards, I like helping people. Yes, And that's one of the reasons why I like executive search. I had been told in the past, don't waste your time with those people. And that just goes against every fiber in my being. I know that I can't devote all my time to them, but my philosophy is that candidates become clients and clients become candidates. I always take those calls, right? I'm not going to take every single one just because there's not enough hours in the day. But especially if it is an introduction from somebody else, I take the time. That has gotten me into trouble schedule-wise in the past. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's who I am and I'm not going to change it. You know, I mean, Debbie, that's wonderful to hear that you're a giver. In terms of giving of your time, what do candidates do well in those conversations? And what do you recommend candidates shouldn't do? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times people will say, oh, you know, my friend said you're the best. Please talk to me. (laughs) And I always have to explain. I mean, it kind of goes back to when we were explaining what executive search is, right? We're headhunters, right? And headhunters can work in a lot of different ways. Some people say, you are my headhunter and you are going to find me a job. And I always have to remind them, I'm not that kind of headhunter, mm-hmm. right? My client is the organization and their needs have to come first, right? And so as long as people are you know, not going to expect two hours of my time to 
tell me their life story, then I'm always happy to have that like 20, 30 minute, just get to know you. And, you know, when the right opportunity comes along, we'll, we'll work together. But the people who expect too much, that's always a little bit tough. Right. And the people who say, can I call you next month? Can I call you in two weeks? I always have to kindly, gently say that's, that's not how it works. So that's some great advice. Christina, how do you think about this? I also take that view of candidates become clients. You never know um, kind of what a conversation might lead to. And so I operate the exact same way as Debbie. I really do try and, and, and find the time. One of the things I have been better about is I have a specific window on my calendar weekly for those conversations, right? So my wow. EA, who is absolutely amazing, knows that 8.30 to 10 o'clock on Friday morning, that's where oh. those conversations go. Oh, now we know how to get to Christina. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. The secret sauce is out, guys. Because what I was doing, and Debbie, probably in a similar situation, is I was like putting those conversations randomly on my calendar. And then it just completely would throw off my day. I basically said, okay, this is, you know, the block of time that is reserved for, we call them courtesy conversations. And of course, there's going to be exceptions, particularly if it is a a recommendation from a colleague or a former client or something like that. But that's at least provided a little bit more structure. You asked Jason, you know, what candidates do wrong. One of my like big pet peeves is when somebody reaches out to me and has clearly not looked at my bio or my information and to know what I focus on, right? So like I get emails from people who are heads of product development and I can't really provide much insight on that market because I don't do any work in that market. And they, I mean, it's very easy to go to Bridges website or my web or, or Hydrix website and find the person that does those types of searches. So I would ask, and I, I say this all the time when I'm on panels and things as it relates to how to work with an executive recruiter, like take the time to do your research and just realize like, oh, Christina focuses in the HR function. I'm a CFO. She's probably not going to be able to provide as much insight as I would like on what's going on right now in the market. But getting back to your original question, like I I do try and find the time. I think it sets us apart from other recruiters out there who operate more transactionally. That is not a way that I personally want to be viewed in the market. Yeah, it's that's great, Christina. That's great advice. And I really appreciate how Debbie and you really take your heart into wanting to uh, help these executives. Uh, question for Debbie uh, and then to Christina. So Debbie, as a mom in executive search, uh, what do you see your role in shaping the conversation around working parenthood? So for me, a lot of it is really making sure that organizations are seeing the value of of working parents, right? Because I think oftentimes what you see is sort of being able to work 24-7 and sort of youth is valued, but sometimes people, especially moms, right, are seen as having a little bit of a glass ceiling. And I think that one of the things that we really need to emphasize and understand is that all of our experiences as parents, like that they only make us stronger executives. And it's been really interesting to kind of get an understanding for how many female executives have like a stay-at-home husband. That was really (laughs) eye-opening for me. I think that in some ways, it's unfortunate that that is sort of how they sometimes get to the sea level, that it has to be sort of 
somebody, if they don't want to, like someone stays at home. But that's one of the things that I do feel like is part of my role is just like really getting people to see there's different ways of doing things. There's different ways to be successful. And, um, you know, being a parent doesn't stop sort of your progression, right, in your career. I love it. Christina, what do you think about uh, your role? Again, couldn't agree with, with more with Debbie. I mean, I'll, I'll take it from the perspective of internally at Hydric, if that's okay. Like, what do I, how do I view my role as a working parent? I, I think, you know, we don't have as many examples of female principals or partners. Those are the, the two consultant titles um, in Hydric that are moms of young kids, right? A lot of folks in, in search start their search career you know, after their kids are already grown up. I mean, if I look at some of the top performers within our company, search is like their second career. I pride myself on being an example of somebody that, you know, started as an associate, kind of grew from within, had two kids along the way and was able to, you know, make it work. Again, not to say it's been easy, but just demonstrating to some of the younger female associates and engagement managers um, who are about to get married and then potentially start a family that you can do it and being a sounding board for, for them. Because I, I think that there is this, uh, you know, stigma attached within professional services that, you know, yeah, once you do get to a certain point, um, you can't do it anymore. You have to kind of pick and choose, uh, you know, do you, do you leave and take care of the kids um, and then come back after they're older? Um, or do you basically just, you know, choose to be working 24 seven as, as Debbie mentioned. And I want to be an example that there's a middle ground, right? So, you know, and how, how wonderful is it that Christina, you're a partner at your firm, <laughs> Debbie, you're a partner at your firm and that you're both working parents and also executives within your own organization, and you hire executives for other organizations and so you understand that parent experience. So that's and Jason, special. Just one thing to add, because I'll give Hydric a little bit of a shout out here. So the, the partner class, um, we had 23 partners that were promoted you know, this last cycle. And within my practice, specifically tech and services, we had six, five of them were women. And three of the five have like multiple kids under the age of, I think, six. <laughs> it's funny. I was talking. I saw the, the one non-woman yesterday who, who is a, a colleague of mine in our D.C. office. He's, a, he's like my brother, uh, you know, work husband. And he was like, yeah, man, I really screwed it up for the firm. I'm the one white male. That got, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, we could have we had an all-female partner promotion class in, in tech and services. I was like, oh, yeah, Jason, you really messed it up. But he was 100% deserving of it. But yeah, I was, really, I was really proud to see that within tech in particular, you know, we had six, uh, five female female individuals um, that were promoted. And particularly after the like massive working parent train wreck that the past yeah. two years have yes. been, that is make, like bringing tears to my eyes because my yeah. biggest fear at the beginning of COVID was that with this mass exodus of especially working moms from the workforce, that we were going to see a massive decline in the number of people put up for partnership who were working parents or women. And I'm happy to see an example 
in the other direction. Jason, did you have anything else before I go to our rapid fire closing question? Lori, go to the rapid fire closing. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Boy. Yeah, I let's do it. Game show. This is awesome. Right. <laughs> Only three questions here. Um, and I wanted to just sort of acknowledge the leadership of both of you and just thank you for that. You know, your role within Hydra, Christina, and also Debbie, the fact that you have an opportunity and that, you know, folks in search generally have an opportunity to talk to organizations about the value of working parents as candidates, I think is amazing. And I'm just happy that there are people like you in, in the profession who can advance that conversation. Okay, so rapid fire closing. Uh, Christina, you are off mute. So I'm going to stick with you and then we'll wrap it up completely with you, Debbie. Okay, so number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent. Christina, go. Ask for help. It is not, it is not a bad thing to ask for help. I can elaborate further, but I'll leave it at that. If, if you would like ask for help. Kind of rapid Brilliant. Ask for help. That's yes. hilarious. That's the same thing that I had. Don't that be afraid to ask for help. Exclamation point. <laughs> it takes a village. As my mom says, it takes a village. Yeah. And that's the thing. My parents, I, I grew up in this area and my parents live close by and nope. that has been a huge support. I mean, when I, had been, I did offer them, would you like to be our nanny? <laughs> and they said no. <laughs> and I get it. They're retired. They should enjoy their lives. But I had to at least ask. But they might not be here every day. But when I need them, they're always here. And it's been such a blessing. Very useful piece of advice. Everyone wow. needs to take it on a daily basis. We should be asking for help as much as we humanly can. Okay, next question. We'll start with you, Christina, and then go to you, Debbie. Your number one book that you would recommend our listeners read? I haven't read a book in so long. I'm ashamed to admit that my recreational reading. I, I, how about this? One of the most helpful books I have read in the course of the past five years was Back to Work After Baby. Not going to lie, Lori. Read it on maternity leave. Hugely right. helpful for me. It's <laughs> very uh, kind. And, that's, and, then I haven't, and then I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure it, it will be helpful to me is Relationships to Infinity. I can't wait to get my signed copy, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. Awesome. Over to you, Debbie. Number one book that our listeners should read. My number one parenting book is actually a book called Playful Parenting. Yes. And it's Love interesting it. because I think that when we had Ben, my husband and I were kind of surprised as he started you know, preschool and we're like, he's not like us. Right. And as a parent, you always just assume your your kid sort of personality wise is gonna be like you or your husband. He wasn't like either of us. And I think that that book really gave me some good perspective about how to connect with him and understand him better. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, love that recommendation. That book is on my shelf next to me. And final question, your number one piece of technology that is critical to you as a working parent, Christina. I mean, my phone, <laughs> my, the, the, the calendar on my phone. Yeah, <laughs> I literally have the same thing written I, down. It's, it's, we share the same brain, Christina. Uh, this is really, this is really <laughs> fascinating to me. I don't know how Debbie, we haven't met yet, but we're, we're hanging out. That's for sure. For better or for worse, I carry it with me wherever I go. It is, it is an appendage that I don't really yes. want. But yeah. One step further, I have had two phones since I've been in executive search oh, and people will laugh at me. People laugh at me and they're like, how important are you? Why do you have two phones? <laughs> Like, I want to know who's calling me, right? I don't want to have a candidate call me on my personal phone. 
it's just not my preference. Right. And so I have two phones. It helps me in my mind, keep things a little bit separate, which I really need. And it's funny because like when the calendars go out of sync, it's terrible. (laughs) I I feel like life is really bad. I feel like we could do a like separate podcast on this issue alone because a lot of my colleagues have separate phones. I'm worried I will lose one of them. That's <laughs> my big, big reason for not. So everything is on my personal phone, but it's a really interesting dilemma because all of my like candidate and client contacts are saved in my personal phone. It's a tough decision. But yeah, that would be my answer, my phone. Awesome. Thank you both. This has been a wonderful conversation. It sounds like uh, Christina and Debbie need to go get a coffee or take a walk together. Jason, anything you want to say as we conclude here? Well, maybe uh, all four of us, instead of getting a coffee together, maybe we can go out for lunch at Debbie's family's Chinese restaurant. <laughs> there we so, go. So, De- Debbie, give a sh- let's give a shout out to... Oh, uh, thanks, De- Jason. Uh, that little so, nugget out. I, yeah. I know. I, that's my secret other job that only pays me in noodles. <laughs> so even though I have you know not been practicing formally for many years, I still have to keep up all of my bars because my family owns a chain of restaurants and I am the Uh only lawyer in the family and I get the calls. (laughs) And so we have a restaurant called A&J and there's a location in Rockville. There's one in Uh Annandale in the DC area and there's one in Irvine, California. And it's a chain that was started by my great uncle in Taiwan like 50 years ago. Wow. So, okay, we're that's a better proud. plan. We were we were just in, I guess, the most recent Washington Post dining guide, which was fantastic. Because even in the DC area, we've been around for I don't know twenty five years. So it's nice. Amazing. It's nice to oh still get some some love, even though we're an oldie. Debbie, you are right by me. We are my we are ordering from here. Stat. Uh, <laughs> all right. I will all send right. you. I will send you menu recs. Please, awesome. please do. All right. Until our next noodle bowl. Thank you so much for being with us, Christina and Debbie. I loved our conversation. I know Jason and I are so grateful to you for sharing your wisdom, your experiences, your stories. Thank you, everybody, for joining and for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please share it with another working parent, friend, or colleague. Make sure um, that folks in the executive search world uh, get a chance to listen to it and hop over and give our podcast a rating on all those wonderful platforms that you use to find this podcast. Thank you all. We'll be continuing on with dads in executive search up next. We'll see you all soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye, team. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.